Thank you so much for joining us here at Word Baptist Church. I'm Jamar Andrews. I'm the lead pastor, and I get the great privilege of shepherding here. I'm excited that you're joining us today for this sermon. You're about to receive text-driven preaching. My prayer is that God speaks to you through this time as you listen to this message. So enjoy, and God bless. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4 uh, and chapter 5 is where we will spend our time together uh, as we continue our series entitled Church on the Move. Uh, those of you that are joining us uh, at home, so glad to have you with us and uh, thankful for your willingness to connect with us that way. And uh, Lord willing, we hope to see you here uh, with us soon gathered. Uh, during this series uh, entitled Church on the Move, we have been working our way through uh, the book of Acts. And uh, this book is action packed from the very beginning uh, to the very end. We have had an opportunity to be able to see our Lord uh, do some significant things uh, in the life of his disciples. And uh, in this time, we've had an opportunity to be able to see God uh, go from being in the flesh on earth, working and moving to being ascended into heaven and working and moving in and through the very ones uh, that he called, that he saved, and that he appointed to be those who would continue uh, to be his witnesses. Today, as we focus on this great book, we're going to be looking at a particular challenge uh, that the church was faced with. You see, last week, whenever we uh, looked at the passage in chapter four last week, where uh, the apostles Peter and John had been used greatly by the Lord to uh, see a man who had been uh, lame for more than 40 years made well. Uh, the religious leaders in the day, they were not excited about that. And uh, I submitted to you last week and I'm going to submit to you this week that not everybody is excited about Jesus. And uh, sometimes uh, when God works and moves uh, there will be individuals that are very frustrated with the fact that the Lord is working. And we saw that that created some external pressure. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the apostles, Peter and John, they were threatened. Uh, they were put in jail and uh, they were told not to continue to minister and to share in the name of Jesus Christ. And uh, you remember that uh, after that, they went to the church and they shared about what had happened. And uh, the church came together and they prayed and uh, the word of God says that the place where they were was shaken and they began to speak boldly uh, the word of God. And so what fascinates me in the midst of that pressure, all the great things that God was doing out of the midst of this wonderful revival, where out of that message uh, that Peter preached, 5,000 were saved. The first message that's recorded for us that he preached, 3,000 were saved. That's at least 8,000. And this great movement of God is happening. And even in the midst of the pressure and the persecution, uh, God is still at work. But we see that the enemy, whenever he cannot conquer the church, Whenever the enemy recognizes that he cannot conquer a group of individuals, his next tactic is to corrupt them. And today we will see that. We will see the movement from where he sought to conquer the church by telling them not to preach, by putting them into prison. And in this movement now, we're going to see where he's going to seek to, co seek to corrupt the church uh, from the inside out. You see, his desire is to uh, do the most damage. And he understands for the most damage to be done, it has to be done from the inside out. You know, as I think about that, 
it makes me think about some of the critical things that we face in our day. And I started looking it up because I just I wanted to know what the most deadly, the, the deadliest creature is on the planet. And it might surprise you. It's not the lion. It's not the bear. It's not the tiger. Lions, tigers, bears, oh my, it's not those. You want to know what the most de- the deadliest creature on planet Earth? Let me tell you what it is. The mosquito. How many of y'all said, yeah, the mosquito, state bird of Arkansas? Everybody out here looking at all this snow and mad that it's cold, but guess what? When it goes away, guess what comes out? Yes, the mosquito. And the reason is, is because mosquitoes in and of themselves, they carry uh, the viruses, they carry the sicknesses just uh, alone. The impact that malaria has, they carry and so many lives are impacted by it. And so what I want us to understand when I when the reason why I share about the mosquito, other than being the state bird of Arkansas, is that small things can have a very deadly effect. Small things that we don't necessarily see or recognize, they, they can have a deadly effect on the inside. The viruses that they carry whenever they bite to be able to pull our blood that they infect us with can begin to have a deadly effect in our body. And when it comes to the body of Christ, the church, if we're not careful, we can be infected. And it's an inside job in which it can cause great destruction and damage. Today, we're going to see a very vivid example, a contrast. You see, Dr. Luke, the human instrument that God's using to, to bring us the, the, the book of Acts, the same human instrument he used to give us the gospel of Luke. Dr. Luke is going to give us a contrast. He's going to introduce us to a man named Barnabas, and he's going to tell us about a family, a married couple named Ananias and Sapphira. He's going to tell us and he's going to use them to contrast uh, the types of of decisions that can be made in the body. But then I believe he's also going to use this to give us a great warning. I believe that the things that are recorded for us in Scripture are to be a warning to us who are following to know how we are to live and relate to the Lord. Now, I'm going to tell you, this might surprise you. If you if you have never read this account, you might think, I thought this only type of stuff only happened in the Old Testament. Let me tell you, same God in the Old Testament, same God in the New Testament. And so I'm just trying to set you up and get you ready because we're going to see the impact that this could have had. But I also want to be encouraging because I believe that we have before us some very clear things to teach us how to deal with internal threats. The first thing that I'm going to submit to you is that to be able to deal correctly or properly with internal threats, we we must be established in spiritual and material unity. We have to be thinking and moving along the same lines spiritually about things, how we exercise our time, talents and treasures. We're going to be united. Notice I didn't say we're not talking about sameness. We're talking about oneness, unity here. And then secondly, we have to be on the alert for the schemes of the devil. You know, 2021 people hear me talking about the devil like this and they're going to think something crazy. They need to put me in a straight jacket and put me in some, you know, facility somewhere. But can I just tell you, Jesus believed that the devil was real. He spoke often about the way in which he tried to destroy lives. The Bible continues to give us a clear witness. And all I'm going to say to you is look out in the world around us to see the chaos and destruction that continues to ensue. And so we must be alert to the schemes of the devil. I hope you've had an opportunity to find Acts chapter four. We're going to look at our first section, verses 32 through 37, and we'll see this positive example and then we will see the negative example. 
Acts 4, 32. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and they would lay them at the apostles feet and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now, Joseph. Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated when translated means son of encouragement and who owned a track of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles feet. The first thing we're going to see is how, how do we deal with the threats that, that, can, that can come our way internally? Well, let's look at the positive first and we're going to see uh, exhibit A before us and we see that in verse 32, that there was a type of unity among the church uh, that was experienced. It had been established by the Lord. So let me be the first to tell you that unity is not something that we manufacture. Unity is something that already exists in the bond of peace because we are in relationship with God and filled with his Holy Spirit. And so when we think about this, God created the unity. It's our role to steward the unity. Meaning when you were brought into the family of God, we were brought in. We are already united. Same spirit, one faith, one baptism, one spirit. We already are connected. Now, it's our role to maintain or to continue to be a good steward of the unity that he created. Now, it's not always easy to do that because we don't always get along. Even folks we love, we disagree with. Folks we're married to, folks in our families. You know, any family that don't ever have any disagreements, any married couples that don't have any disagreements, any couples that don't have disagreements, any teammates that don't have disagreements, any co-workers that don't have disagreements. And you can love these individuals, been rolling with them for a long time. So meaning when we talk about stewardship, we recognize that there is a challenge within this to continue to be a good steward of what God has created. But we see that he had, had done it. Look in verse 32. It says this and the congregation. Everybody catch that. That's the whole. We talk in macro. The congregation of those who believed they were of one heart and soul. They were they were together, knit together. They, they love was a foundational piece and they were together. That was the establishment. But now we have to see the experience. It's not just enough to have God establish it and us to steward it. But at some point, that love, that unity has to be expressed. And in and in the early church, we see how it was expressed. It was expressed in the way in which they thought first. Now, we know because we've already seen that the early church, they had some priorities and they prioritized the word, it says that they paid attention to the word and the apostles teachings. And so their beliefs were set. We know that they spent time with each other in fellowship. We know that they worshiped together in prayer, taking the Lord's Supper. We know that they also were giving. We know that they recognized that the things that they owned actually belonged to God and they wanted to use them for his glory. And so we see the way in which they were thinking about things. It says very clearly that uh, in verse 32, that not a one of them, they were not claiming that anything belonging to him was his own. Now, notice it says it belonged to him, but it was their perspective about about the material, about the things. 
It's not that it was not their possessions. It was just they understood who it really belonged to. And so when we look at this, some people love to look at this particular passage and they say, oh, that's that communism right there. That's socialism right there. Right there. The Bible is condoning it. Don't let nobody fool you with that. That's not what this is. You, you see, this unity that God had created was now being lived out in the sacrificial relationships and love. I, I just I jot down this way that they had a view of their possessions and a sensitivity in relationship in which they knew each other. They knew each other's needs and they were willing to sacrifice for one another. So that way they will be able to be taken care of. And can I tell you a little bit of love and sacrifice will go a long way. As a matter of fact, love covers a multitude of sins. That's what the word says. But the reason why this is not Christian communism, so let me just hit that piece, because I know in our day it's kind of vogue for people to talk about socialism and communism. And I shared this earlier in the book, but I might as well get it again. The difference between Christianity and communism. Christianity says what's mine is yours. Communism, socialism says what's yours is mine. Can I say it another way? I like to say another C word instead of communism. I like to say coveting. That's what the Bible calls it. And so we see here that this was voluntary. This was voluntary. It was motivated by love and it was done for those who were in need. Now, I just got three questions. Who? Number one, who was affected by this? Well, number one, it says everyone was. In, in verse 32, it says not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. So so the scope of this was it impacted everyone. That's the who. The when. When did we see them exercise this? Well, it says as they had needs, as the needs would arise, they would begin to sell off some of those who were owners. They were not forced. They voluntarily said, you know what? We're going to sell some things and we're going to help to uh, see folks lives benefit, have the food they need, the shelter they need, the clothing that they need. And not only that, though, but the what is everything and their possessions. They recognize that it was not theirs. You know, when I think about this type of generosity, it just makes me want to stop just real pastorally and say, when was the last time you prayed? I prayed. God, help me to be more generous. Help me to have an open hand with the things that you have blessed me with to be a blessing to the body of Christ, to the community at large, to see you work and move. You know, we like our stuff. And if we're if we're not careful, we can invert it and we can use people and love stuff instead of loving people and using stuff. We have to be very careful. You know. This example that's before us, it says, notice verse 33, how God answered the, the prayer in the outworking. It says, and with great power, the apostles were giving testimony of the resurrection of the Lord. They had prayed for boldness. God shook the building where they were. And it says they spoke boldly, but that just wasn't one time event. They didn't just have just boom and it just energized at one time, but they continually kept speaking boldly about the Lord, about the resurrection. So we see he answered the prayer, but catch what else comes with it. Notice this, an abundant grace was upon them all. And so I love this. You see the power and the grace all right there in the way in which he answers the prayer. And it says, verse 34, there was not a needy person among them for all who were owners of land or houses they sold them proceeds. Does the Bible speak to us about how we are to use the resources in our lives? It sure does. I'm going to give you a, a passage I want you to jot down. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17, 18, and 19. We're going to look at these together. And I just find this is a great, when you think about wealth and you think about money and finances, I'm just telling you, I don't believe that it is, it is sin 
for an individual to possess wealth. It is a sin for wealth to possess the individual. Here, here's what he says in, Tim, in, in Timothy, the apostle Paul says, this, instruct those who are rich. I know many are like, he ain't talking about me. I can just pass that on. Now we're talking to you, okay? When you look at the world at large, most people living on a couple dollars a day. Listen, we're talking to you, all right? Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be, notice this, conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Everybody catch that? But on who? God. I'm going to need y'all to help me today. But on who? God, who richly, notice this, supplies us with all things to enjoy. Now catch it. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Storing up for themselves the treasure of good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. So the Lord is not telling you don't have wealth, don't, don't possess wealth. What he's saying is don't, don't, don't let it have you. As a matter of fact, deploy it for the kingdom. Deploy it for the king. You use it for the glory of God. That, that, that's what he's saying. It says he gives us all things to enjoy. And so, so don't, don't, if, if you, if you have financially found yourself set and stable and you continue to aspire to grow and move, don't, don't be ashamed of that. Just put it to work for the king and his kingdom. And I believe this is a great example of that, that it was voluntary, that nobody was forcing them. You know, that's the thing about communism, socialism. It is not voluntary. They take it, right? They enforce it. Now, here's the thing. Some people will say, but look at what all gets done with it. Let me just tell you, if you take the money from me, it don't matter what you do with it. You still took it. And if you take something, somebody help me. If you take something that's not yours, what is that called? Stealing. So if you steal something from somebody, but you didn't go buy somebody a meal with it, does it change the fact that you stole it? No, it does not. So what we understand here. That God is not talking about communism, talking about socialism. Listen, our Christianity is based off the motivation of relationship with the God who has given most, who has sacrificed most. And so thus for us, when we look at the things we have, the time that God has given us, the talents that he has given to us, we see those as an opportunity to invest in his kingdom and in lives and to see transformation. That's the call here. And he gives us an example. Did you notice? I love the Lord. He doesn't just tell us what's going on. He also gives us an example and he gives us exhibit A. Old Barnabas. Everybody see Brother Barnabas? Son of encouragement. What a name, right? And, and what Luke does, it's very common. He'll introduce you to somebody in a very minor way because he's going to bring them back up at a later time in a major way. As a matter of fact, Barnabas, you're going to find his name in Acts about 25 times. And outside the book of Acts, you find him five times in the letters. It's amazing. And, you know, I love to ask people, who, who's your favorite character in the Bible? Who's your fa favorite person in the Bible? And most people are like, I like David. David will play your song and cut you all at the same time. <laughs> Folks will say, I like Moses. Moses, you know, he, he let my people go, went down and put a finger in Pharaoh's face and got it done. You know, people, I like Daniel. He told, Dan listen, Daniel in the lion's den, I love how that go. And most people talk about all these individuals. I like the Apostle Paul. He was a preaching evangelizing machine. Half the New Testament, right? I've asked this question, I don't know how many times, who your favorite? You, you don't know how many times somebody said, I love Barnabas? Zero. And when I look around, I don't know that there are going to be very many Pauls or 
Moses or Joshua's or Daniel's. But what I do know is every believer can be a Barnabas. And when you look at the word, when you look at the son of encouragement, the one can you imagine when he makes this act, he does this and he it says he sells the track land. Now, we got to unpack a few things because he was a Levite. And, and when you look at the Old Testament, the Levites, the priestly line, they were not supposed to own land, but he is owning land. Now, I, I think there's a reason why we see this is because most would see that the idea of them not. If you want to get that, there's numbers uh, 1820 to see where the priests are not supposed to own land. I think that's in Israel. That's whenever the inheritance, I don't think it's talking about outside of, of Israel. And I'm going to just go on a limb here and say he gave some prime real estate up in Cyprus and the man got paid. And when he did, he brought all of what he made and he put it before the apostles' feet. And this is a great example. Great example of sacrifice here. And can I just tell you, I'm going to just talk to the men in the room because Sister Y'all's day is coming. But let me just talk to the men in the room for a second. Whenever you think about your life, like when it's time for you to go to be with the Lord at your funeral, you know, what, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want your, the way in which people remember you to be? And I'm going to just give you from Acts 11:24. This is how Barnabas was described. Now, let me just tell you, Barnabas wasn't a perfect brother. Because whenever the apostle Peter got to acting a fool in Galatians, he got swept away right on with it. So that means he was perfect. The only person that's perfect, Jesus. That's why we worship him anyways, right? One of the main reasons. But I want you, this is the, the way in which he was described. And I just want to put this before you men. You might be successful in business. You might be successful in your family. You might people know your name. But ultimately, can I just tell you, if at the end of your life, when you go to be Lord, this is what I want to be said of me. says this, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. I, I don't know. I'm just telling you, I don't know of a better way to be described here. And at the end of our lives, men, we, we can get in this world, get the chase and the rat race, doing all the things. But right there, I believe right there is what it's all about. It's what it's all about. And Barnabas was a great example of that. And we see that that prayer was answered with great power, with abundant grace. God was moving and he was using individuals to accomplish his will, and his plan. But can I tell you, that's the encouraging piece. That's the good side. But there's a negative piece, and I'm, I need to go ahead and share it with you. You see, out of this Barnabas, his movement, his work, there's a couple in the church. And I believe that this couple, they heard and they saw what had happened. And so there's some spiritual struggle here. I'm going to submit to you, I believe that they, they were believers. But now the way in which they're acting doesn't seem like the such, but we're going to see what happens. Y'all ready for it? Let's look at the second movement where we got to be on alert for the enemy schemes. And in Acts 5, I want you to see the transition. Acts 5 verse 1 says, but now I know y'all seen the chapter headings like we putting two chapters together. There ain't no division here. It's conjunction is put together. But a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? 
while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all who heard of it. The young men got up and covered him up. And after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours. And his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her. Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young man came in and found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. Second movement we're going to see. We have to be on the alert for the schemes of the devil. You see, the enemy knows if he cannot conquer, he will seek to corrupt. And we see he is seeking to corrupt. And in his seeking to corrupt, uh, he finds uh, two willing individuals, two willing vessels, two willing vessels to be able to bring about the destruction, to bring about the mess. And we see it in a married couple, a, a husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira. Now, you might want to know this. Maybe you don't want to know this, but his name, Ananias, it means God is gracious. And her name means beautiful. But what he is getting ready to find out is, is that not only is God gracious, but he is also holy. That not only is he gracious, he is also holy and he has established a standard. And he, even though her name is beautiful, she's getting ready to find out that the, the consequences of sin are ugly. The consequences of sin are ugly. Now, I know when you maybe first read that, if you hadn't been in the church, you might say, whoo. That was a little bit extreme, wasn't it? I know, I know how we are sometimes in the church. You know, we don't like to talk about that. But you know, isn't, that, isn't that just a little? Why would God do such a thing so early in the life of the church? Well, can I just submit to you that the church was in such a vulnerable state, a place that at the very beginning, God is establishing an example so that we would understand how serious sin is. Not, not just lying, not just hypocrisy, but sin. We're going to deal with that here in a minute, but he's establishing. And this has been his way, even in the Old Testament. You see, it's serious because the church, the church has a specific role. Let me just give that to you. First Timothy 315. I want you to catch it now. First Timothy 315 says this, but in the case I'm delayed, notice he says, I, I write, this is the Apostle Paul, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. Y'all catch it now. This is why it's so important. You ready for it? Household of God, which is the church of the living God. What else? The pillar and support of the truth. Everybody see that? Now, now the church, the church, God left the church, his body, the body of Christ, the church, we are here. 
to represent him well, to represent, to be the pillar, the support of the truth. Now, that, that's why we're here. So whenever you have somebody in the ranks, they are coming in, they are lying, they are coming in to establish, it will do great damage to the foundation of this calling, this support. And so we see God recognize, listen, this is why we here, this is why the church here, if you want to know why people can't stand Jesus, can't stand the church, because we're here to tell the truth. And guess what people don't like to hear many times? The truth. We, we uphold God's standards, God's principles, God's ways. Whether it's in marriage, relationships, life, conduct, we hold it. Whether it's in salvation, we hold it. And whenever there is a deviation from it, we hold it. And not everybody's excited about it. And so early on, early on, it's being challenged. And so we see that God deals directly in his judgment. But can I tell you, it's not just that the church is the support and the pillar of truth. We forget how special the bride of Christ, the body of Christ is to the Lord. So I want you to take this down. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. We're going to get there at some point in this year. Acts 20, 28. And, and this is the, the apostle Paul. He's telling the, the, the church to be on guard. And I want you to catch this now. He says, it's be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. Y'all ready for it? Which he did what? Purchased with his own blood. Y'all catch that? Now that this, this passage right here, just let that marinate in your soul for a minute. This is a great deity of Jesus Christ passage, by the way. Who, who was the one that shed blood? Jesus. But now notice what it says here. It says this, shepherd the church of who? God, which he purchased with his own blood. Meaning, meaning, I understand it's so the church is so valuable to him because he laid his life down for her. So it's not only what we are called to do as the church, but it's who we are as a church. The price that was paid, the greatest currency to ever be given in Christ laying down his life is what it took. And so he cannot have this moment at the very beginning coming in and distracting and destroying the plan, the will and the identity of his bride. That, that, that's that's the key here. We, we got to understand that the enemy is always trying to destroy that. Trying to destroy that. Now, before you just think, oh, no, this is only one time. Well, if you're just taking those, get your little quiet time in Leviticus chapter 10. You're going to see two guys, Nadab and, and Abihu. They were Aaron's sons, priests. They offered strange fire. The Lord had to take them out. You're going to see in Joshua, Joshua chapter seven, they had come out and fighting battles. And, and the Lord told him, don't take nothing out of none of these places. Don't do it. And one guy, Achan, he decided that he wanted to not listen and disobey the commands. Guess what happened? He had to get snuffed out as well. And so early on, when God is moving, he is showing us how seriously he takes sin. Now, can you imagine what would happen if like if this is how it was working today? You could roll up in here, you tell a lot, boom, like, oh, there he went. <laughs> boom, doop, there she went. Can you imagine that? It's a great, it's just a reminder because, you know, sometimes we can, we can think that because God is not immediately judging us that he is actually okay with what's going on. Don't, don't, please don't. Don't, don't let his patience, don't let his forbearance, don't let his mercy and grace make you think that judgment is not coming. This is a great example to, to let us know. Let us all know in here. Don't, don't, don't fall for that. You see, the problem that we see with 
Ananias and, and Sapphira. And, and, and let, let's just unpack this for a minute. Is that they, I believe, saw what happened when Barnabas made the decision to sell. Barnabas got a nickname. Well, we want a nickname. What's going to be our nickname? We want a new name. Joseph, Joseph was a real name. But we want a nickname. What are we going to get? And I think that, that was just inside of them. I, I believe personally pride was, was where it was setting. But it just showed up in this decision to lie. And so what happened was they went in and they made a sale. Let's just say they sold it for 30000 Husband and wife, they both know the sale price, what they got was 30000 And they looked at each other and husband said, you know what, we're going to slide this 15 over here and put that in the safe. And then they came and rolled up to the apostles, to Peter, and they said, man, we sold that property. We got 15000 for it. Oh, you got 15,000 for it. Yeah, we got 15,000. And so that's when he tells them, I know you didn't try to come in here and lie to the Holy Spirit like this. Now, can I just tell you on the outset what I love how Peter, how he handles this. He says, listen, before you sold it, was it not yours? And even after you sold it, was it not yours? Meaning, had they not decided to, to, to sell it, unless God was telling them to, they wouldn't have had no problems. And even after they sold it, even if even if they wanted to keep, let's just say the sale price is thirty thousand. Let's just say they wanted to keep fifteen thousand back. There's no problem with that. That's what he was saying. But the problem comes in that is when you try to come in here and you try to act like you sold it for fifteen, but you really sold it for thirty, and you act like you just brought everything and just laid it down. That, that's hypocrisy. That's what that's what that's what we're dealing with here. That these individuals were hypocrites. They they it, for them. What, what it looked like was more important than what it actually was. What the, what it, the reputation was more important than reality. And what we have to be careful of and be on guard of in our own lives is not to have a, a Christianity in which it's set off of reputation and not reality. It's not based off of the praise of men or the fear of men, but it's based off of the love of God and the fear of God. You see, that, 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 their problem was that they were more concerned with reputation than reality. And they had colluded together. They colluded together, collusion. And they had colluded together, and they came up with this idea. And what they did, the text tells us, just look at it. The text tells us they colluded together. Satan was behind the scene. He was working and moving. How do we know that? Well, because verse 3 says, but Peter said, Ananias, why has who? Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land. So what happens here is we see the enemy, instead of resisting the enemy, they yield to the enemy. And the enemy is ultimately seeking to cause destruction. And he says in, in verse three, he says, why, why say he has what filled your heart? That word filled means to be controlled or influenced by. Now, y'all heard me say on the top end, and I believe that these were believers. So what I'm not saying is that they were possessed. I'm saying they were influenced by Satan. It is possible for believers, people that love Jesus, to be influenced by the enemy. And to think things that they shouldn't think, do things that they shouldn't do, say things that they shouldn't say, because he is he is tempting. He's trying. And whenever you yield to it or you open up to it, then now you see the destruction that comes. Did you notice he said in the heart, that's where it happened. I just want you to jot this down for me. Proverbs four, verse twenty three, because this is where we have to make sure we steward well. Proverbs four. Verse twenty three says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. 
Now, understand what he's saying here, that, that from the heart, that internal connection relationship, that, that is where the, the, the decisions are, where life, how, you, how we're processing things, that's, that's where it's coming from. And when I think about this, I think about what just happened in, uh, in Texas, whenever the, all the power went out and they couldn't have all the power, the, the, the water plants there didn't have power. And so because the treatment facilities didn't have power, they had to issue a boil, a boil alert where you had to boil your water because the impurities were not being able to be treated out of it. And so because that treatment was not there, it affected all the water, the source of water in a negative way. And what, what, I'm, what I believe he's saying here is that the enemy is desiring to have an influence in your life and in my life in such a way that it will influence all the areas of our lives in a negative way where he is seeking to have complete control. Not, not, just to, not just to every once in a while influence us, but he is looking for complete control and destruction. And many times it happens little bit by little bit, step one, one compromise at a time, one sin at a time, one, as we say, little thing at a time. And ultimately he's seeking to have complete control. You know, when I think about Peter's confrontation here, I believe that later on in Peter's ministry, he had this this moment on his mind when he wrote in first Peter chapter five, verses six through nine. Let's just look at it together. I think it's just a great reminder for us. First Peter five, six through nine says this. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I believe, I believe, I, when he, I just, he has seen the destruction that comes. You see that problem? They were more concerned with reputation than reality. And let me just say, if we are not careful, we can fall into the same boat, fall into the same trap. We have to be careful. So when it comes to the schemes, number one, we have to be mindful of pride in our lives. We have to be mindful of how the enemy might be trying to establish himself and set us up. But I want you to catch this now. In verse four, he says, while, while it remains yours, unsold, listen, it was yours. You, you could do what you need to even after you sell. You could have done it. Now, verse four is a great verse for us to recognize the deity of the spirit of God. He says, you have not lied to men, but to who? God. Verse four. Everybody see that? Up in verse three, he says what? He filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. So when you look at three and four, great passage to remind us that the Holy Spirit of God is not some impersonal force. The Holy Spirit of God is God right there. And we must recognize the exposure of the lie. But now we're getting ready to see the, the extent of it. Why it's so bad. You, you know, a lie is a lie. But depending on who you lie to, it has greater ramifications for your lying. You, as a sibling, lying to your, to your brother or sister, lying to your mom and daddy, lying to a judge, lying to the Lord. That makes sense. It's all lying. It's all sin. But who you are lying to, the ramifications of what happens for what you do, that same action matters. And what he's saying here is, listen, y'all, you didn't lie to me. You lied to God. You lied to God. You know, the impact of this is great. And I just want to highlight Something that would, would be a reminder for us in the church. 
For them, I believe it came out of pride, it manifested, showed itself up in hypocrisy, and this was their struggle. But these are not the only struggles that can show up in the life of a believer or in the church. So let me just read some for, for you. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's a pretty good list. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. Now catch this now. These are the things, when we think about how the enemy wants to scheme us, I just want you to just listen for a minute. It says, therefore, lay aside all what? Falsehood. So that's lying. Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. We got to be on the lookout. No, it says what? Be angry and yet do not sin. Boy, that's a tough one right there. We're going to keep it real. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Uh oh. But only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. You see, I believe before us, we see these are the things, like I said, that, that's not an exhaustive list. I mean, that's not all there is to fall into, but I'm, that's a pretty good list right there for us to be mindful of and the challenges and what I believe the enemy is desiring to do. And we have to be aware. We have to understand the ramifications. Not only do we see that they had pride, that they, that they lied. But I believe ultimately they had a lust for recognition that produced this sin, this desire where they, were being, where they were willing to be used by the enemy. We have to be careful. Now, did y'all notice this was a husband and wife team? Did y'all catch it? Can I just ask y'all a quick question? Did she know about it? Okay, the text made it very clear she knew because y'all might look like, that's so sad to happen to her. She knew. Because we're getting ready to look. He, the Lord exposed it. And he's getting ready to do something about it. The, the Bible says that Ananias, he fell dead. He breathed his last. And they came and they, they buried him. Now, his wife, she comes in. Sapphira, she comes in. And Peter gave her an opportunity. Did everybody see this? Did y'all see it? Did you see it? Verse 8. And Peter responded to her. Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. Did y'all see that he gave her an opportunity? Now, she came in three hours later. She came in three hours late to the service. Now, I don't know why she, she I, I kind of feel like this conjecture here, but she was trying to make an entrance, you know, like, like Ananias was going to drop the money off and all the people were like, oh, yes. And by that time, their nicknames would be picked out and everything else. And she just strolled right on up in there and get all that recognition. Why she came three hours late. But she comes in, and can I, just, can I just highlight just some real quick, three hours had passed. Her husband had, had died and been buried, and the guys were coming back. 
the enemy, whenever he is deceiving, he keeps his servants in the darkness where they don't realize and see what is going on. Did, did, did you notice that? I mean, that just stands out to me. He keeps his service in the dark. Is that three hours of pay? You ain't talking to your husband, ain't seen him, don't know nothing about what's going on. And you come in and you share the same lie. That's because the enemy, whenever he tempts, whenever he tries, whenever he works, he does not give you the full picture. He don't work like God. God is operating in light. He lets us see, but he is operating. He operates in darkness. The enemy does. And if we're not careful, we will fall. But Peter, he gave her an opportunity. And she went on ahead and didn't make the right decision. Can I just say just real practically, pastorally, you know, sometimes husband and wives get together and I'm just going to say it as straightforward as I know how to say it. If your husband and your wife, they're trying to tell you to do something that is sinful against God's will and plan. Let me just tell you, you do not have to follow that. There's a higher authority that you answer to. You know, I know some husbands, you know, they saber rattling, chest beating you. You better submit to me. Hey, look here, brother. As long as you submit to the Lord, that's what it says in the text. You know, and she she fell into this thing. And you did you notice what Peter said to her after he gave her a chance? After he gave her a chance, notice what he says. Verse eight, I'm, I'm going back up there. He said, did you sell it for such and such a price? She said that was a the price. Then Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? That construction, that, that means why, why have you? tried to see how far you could go before God's judgment would fall. When you try to test, you presume this is a presumption of his grace. You have you have presumed you are testing. You're trying to see how far you can go before the judgment comes. Says, why are you why are you doing that? Don't you don't, you want to stay way back from that line? You don't want to just, you know, play around with it. My brothers and sisters who have children or you around kids all the time. They love to play to, to see how far they can get on the line. Like back up. It, I just, it's in a, we want to see how close we can get to the line. Don't keep playing. And they come here and it cost her. You know, can I just say real quick, a couple points of application. It's easy for us to look at Ananias and Sapphira and be like, I can't believe that. But are we willing to examine our lives? Are we willing to examine our lives and see where there might be some duplicity in our life where the, the confession that we make is not necessarily matching up with the life that we live? Is, is there a, a, a place in our own lives to examine where maybe the enemy might be getting ground in our lives, in our thoughts, in our heart, in our mindset? Might, might we have a time of evaluation and examination to see where he might be gaining ground? You see, the church, and what I love here is that the movement here, when God does this, when, he, when she dies, verse 10, it tells us, and immediately she fell at, at his feet. The, the, they, they brought it together. The young men came in. They buried her. Now look at verse 11, and great fear came over the whole church. That's the first time the word is used in the book of Acts, church, the first time. And it means the church, the whole assembly, very first time. And so what happens is this movement of, of power and grace goes to take God seriously. Man, this idea they were fearing God. They were taking him seriously. They were taking him seriously. Can I just tell you, the Christian life is not a playground. It's a battleground. And Ephesians 6, I'm getting ready to read it here in just a second. 
Ephesians 6, the Christian is, is given the marching orders about the type of armor that we are to wear. The, the, the reason why we have to have armor is because we're in a war. And we don't think of this many times. We just think about God, do something nice for me. God, you know, just come through for me. And that's fine. But that's not it. It's not it. We have to understand the, the battle that we, we are in and, and that the enemy is desiring to get on the inside to cause destruction and damage. You, you'll see on the outside, the pressure comes, pressure comes, but he, he ain't going to snuff it out that way. The enemy's not going to snuff it out that way. It's got to be an inside move. So we see not only was there power in their work and they were speaking the word, not only was there abundant grace in sharing, but it says now fear, meaning they took the Lord seriously. They respected him. I want you to jot down this, and we're just going to unpack it together, and I am closing. Ephesians 6, chapter 10. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 18. Says this about our preparation. Says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers. Against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual force of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you may be, you may be able to resist the, in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Here we go. Stand firm, therefore, having gird your loins with truth. That's what holds everything together. The belt, you, 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 you cinch up your dress, put that thing on tight. That way you can move freely. The truth is what holds everything together. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, I believe that's the imputed righteousness of Christ, which will cover the vital organs. This is we are in Christ. We have been accepted in Christ. The, the, the first, the belt holds everything together. The breastplate reminds me that I'm accepted. Stand firm, therefore, having gird your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. What's the next piece? And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This is where we stand sturdy and stable. This is how we are grounded. In addition to all taking up the shield of faith. This is our suppression weapon. You ready for it? Our shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Our faith, whenever he attacks, that faith we pull from the word, obviously, but that faith, whenever he is attacking us in terms of God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's character, our faith and trust in him, not in us, is what is extinguishing these things. It says this, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. That's our offensive weapon in which we see the way how God has, has shared with us how we are to live. He says, take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of spirit, which is the word of God, with all power, petition, prayer, at all times in the spirit. With this in view, be on alert with all perseverance. Petition for all the saints. You see, we have to be willing to recognize it's an inside job. And whenever we get discouraged, we are vulnerable. Whenever we are isolated, we are vulnerable. But the enemy, ultimately, he is wanting to work in the midst of the body, in this church, right here, right now, in lives to create and to cause destruction. And I believe what we see here in Acts chapter four and five 
is how we are to deal with this internal threat. To make sure we connect with the Lord, we connect with each other, and we are, are united spiritually, materially. We're thinking the same way. That we are in fellowship and we are connected. But I also see that we have to recognize that there is a threat. And that when it comes to this threat, that it is real. And that God is going to ultimately judge. You see, I find that there are three judgments to consider. There's the sinner's judgment. And what I'm encouraging you is this sinner's judgment, uh, Christ at the cross, he dealt with that judgment that all sinners will have to face. See, what, what the goal is is that you'll be able to settle outside of court. See, when you think about it, at the cross, what Christ is doing is, is he's trying to give us an opportunity to settle outside of court. Because if you get to the back of the book and Revelation, what's going to happen is there's going to be a courtroom set up. A throne, throne is going to be set up and books are going to be open and judgments are going to be given. And what Jesus Christ has done is, is he's come, he's laid his life down on the cross so we can settle outside of court. Because nobody, let me just tell you right now, when you go into that courtroom, nobody is coming out innocent. Nobody. That's the first one. So, so at the cross, what Christ does is he deals with that judgment. But then can I tell you, there's also the saints judgment. Now, this is not judgment of heaven or hell. This is judgment of how you lived your life as a saint, as a believer, as a child of God. Each and every one of us is going to stand before the Lord and give an account for how we live. We're going to have to gonna give an account. It don't matter what everybody else thought about us. It don't matter what people thought and said and what you, you might have had a nickname. They might call you Lil Barnabas, Lil B. It don't matter. Because on that day, the Lord is going to lay it all bare. It's going to all be seen. It's going to be refined. Whether you are a hypocrite, that, that word means to be an actor, to have a mask on, to play a role, play a part. I mean, that's not who you really are. You might can fool other folks. You might can fool a whole lot of folks, but you will not fool the Lord. That's why I said, why are, you, why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? You thought you were going to get away with that? You thought he didn't know? Not only the sinner's judgment, not only the saint's judgment, but I believe that what we are seeing here is what Adrian Rogers calls the son judgment. S-O-N. Meaning in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 8 and 9, it says that whenever you are God's child, when you are his child, he is going to chasten you. He is going to chasten you. And sometimes that chastening, just hear me for a minute, that chastening could mean he is calling you to heaven. Because the lifestyle you live, that as God's children, he is going to chasten us. He is going to make sure that because we believe, he said, if you're not being punished by God, you are not his child. You're an illegitimate child. But, but if you are being molded and you are being chastened, it's because you're his child. And I believe he gives a great warning and a great example to us in the church to know how we ought to live. Because there is chasing that comes when you belong to him. As I close, how about you? Are you willing and ready to settle outside of court? Are you going to try to wait and think it's about your good deeds and you're going to be able to bring it? I'm just telling you, nobody, nobody's going to win that one. So it's best to take the deal that he is presenting to you outside of court. If you'll be willing. How about you? When we think about our lives as saints. 
Are we willing to examine our lives and say, God, is there any double minded? Is there any duplicity in my life where I'm where I'm wrestling? Can I just be honest with you? We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, we all do. The thing that I love most about our Lord is that he is calling us to come in. The enemy is wanting to slander us. He's wanting to accuse us. And the Lord is wanting to acquit us. He is calling us in. He is calling us in by his grace to follow and to surrender and to trust him. And not to be used by the adversary. You're willing to surrender your life to him. You're saved in here. You're willing to be honest with the Lord about the things in your life that might be uh, not of him, not like him. We're getting ready to go into a time of reflection and prayer. Can I just tell you, this would be a great time to connect with the Lord in confession, to be able to connect with the Lord in terms of letting him know where you are, what you're dealing with, what you're wrestling with, because Satan does not want you to go to him. He wants you to continue to think that you have to stay in sin. He wants you to continue to think that you have to be living in failure. You have to continue to feel like God does not desire you. He went to the cross for you. He, he bought you with his blood. As can I just tell you, that is a precious gift. You can tell what he thinks about you by what he was willing to pay for you. Will you pray with me? Lord, we love you. We thank you. And Lord, I'm just thinking about our church body right here. And Lord, I know in your word, your word tells us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I know that's true of me. Each and every day I fall short. I believe, Lord, that's true of us, that each and every day we fall short. But, Lord, I'm so thankful that that's not all that your word says, though. It says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then in that same book, it says, and the result of that is death. The ways of that is death. Destruction. The wage of sin is death. We all fall short. But Lord, in you, though, in you, you have laid down your life so that in you now we can be made righteous. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ. And Lord, I believe eternal life is not just about how long we live, but how we live also. And Lord, right here, I just pray, Lord, if there's anyone here, I, I, I'm just asking, Lord, if anybody here, they've never, anybody watched, they've never given their life to you, Lord, that they would make the exchange. That judgment is coming, Lord. There's going to be a time in human history where everybody, the great and the small, the sea going to give up their dead, all those, you're going to bring them all back. And all those who have not given their life to you, Lord, they will stand before you and judgment will be rendered. And nobody is going to be found innocent. But Lord, you, you've made a way in the cross by which, Lord, you, you want to settle right now. You want to make an exchange. So Lord, I pray if there's anybody here, Lord, anybody watching, that they would say, Lord Jesus, save me. I want to I make the exchange. I want to settle outside of the court. What's required is by faith for them to surrender your, their life to you, Lord. Greatest decision anybody ever made. Lord, I pray that you'll help us, Lord, to be faithful, to share this message, Lord, that they would call out. We, we would call out. We would continue to call out. You say, Lord Jesus, save me, change me, use me, be glorified in my life. Forgive me. 
Lord, I, thinking about the saints, your word says if, if we confess our sins, you are faithful just to cleanse us and to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, I just pray that in this time, Lord, as we think through our lives, Lord, we would just be honest with you about our attitudes, about our speech, about our that list, Lord, whether or not we, we're stealing, whether or not, Lord, unwholesome things come out of our mouth or we see unwholesome things or we do unwholesome things. That, Lord, we wouldn't give the enemy an inch in here. And, Lord, that we would experience your forgiveness and your cleansing. I pray, Lord, as we go into this time of reflection and prayer that you would have your way. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. I hope God spoke to you during the message today. We want to know about it. You can fill out a connection card at wordbaptist.com slash connection card. We want to help you through any spiritual questions you may have while you're on this journey. You see, we believe that the first step is for a person to give their life to Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear that the greatest need that humanity has is to be saved. And that the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. If you will agree with God that you need him for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will turn to him in repentance and believe in him, uh, you will be saved. The Bible says that you do this by one, believing that Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead and that you believe that his payment is sufficient for you, that you will call out to him as Lord and Savior. He will save you. If you're listening to the service and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come and be our guest during the time of worship. We have multiple services. We would love to meet you personally and have you here for worship. You can check us out at wordbaptist.com for service times. If you've missed any sermons, they're all archived there online, so you can go back and watch them. You can connect with us on social media, at Word Baptist. If you would like to invest in the ministry and continue the spread of the gospel, you can give online at wordbaptist.com give. I'm so grateful that you've joined us today, and I hope you've learned something that you can apply to your life, and we hope to see you again next time, right here at Word Baptist Church.